Welcome to episode 21 of the Technician Academy podcast, hosted by ASE Master Technician Richard Young. This episode is powered by Motorrad. Motorrad is leading the way in coverage and service. Visit them online at motoradusa.com. This episode provides a lively discussion with Shari Pheasant, a professional that's been in the game for over 30 years. Pheasant is a shop owner, has founded several organizations, and is a member of Women in Auto Care, among other things. We hope that you enjoy this episode of the Technician Academy podcast powered by Motorrad. Motorrad is leading the way in coverage and service. Visit them online at motoradusa.com. Welcome to today's Technician Academy podcast. We're very fortunate today to have Shari Pheasant with us. She is the co-owner of A Master Mechanic Repair Shop and a lot more than just that. Welcome, Shari. Thanks, Richard. Happy to be here. Well, we're happy to have you. Uh, it's it's an exciting, and we've talked briefly before, and, and I'm excited about this podcast, a lot of information and things that we're going to bring out. Well, I'm excited because talking to the technician, for me, is like talking to the main guy. The technicians are the lifeblood of our industry, and we have to have a great conversation with them. They really have a lot to do with the business models of our independents that are out there. Absolutely. And one of the things that Technician Academy, that's our focus is the technician. And and we know that that is the customer that the brands, manufacturers need to pay attention to and, and the future relies upon them. Absolutely. And they're like a doctor. I believe technicians have as much knowledge about cars as doctors do about bodies. I joke sometimes doctors work on a male and a female body. Let's face it. In thousands of years, they haven't changed much. There might be a few more diseases and things that we pay attention to, and you might need a few more tools, but you're working on the same thing. But you go to a technician and you look at what they work on and it's hundreds of, I mean, makes models, hundreds of thousands, and then application changes midway through the year. So it requires a different application when you're working on that vehicle. So I really believe that technicians at the very least are as valuable as a doctor with their knowledge, probably even more. Right, absolutely. So give us a brief description of your shop and, and kind of the history of the shop and, and its location. Sure. So we're from the Reno Sparks area in Nevada. That's up in northern Nevada. And my husband used to work for United Parcel Service. He's been a technician and mechanic since he was, well, 12 and put his first five lawnmowers together. We have a son who is now 25 and he built his first engine at nine years old. He actually put a diesel gas tank in all by himself at seven. My husband had gone into the house and said, hang on, I'll be right out. We'll do that. And he came out after 25 minutes on the phone. And, you know, kids don't have this much patience as adults sometimes. And uh, he did it himself. My husband thought he had ruined it. And he looked and it was done perfectly. So mechanicing and and automotive is, is in the lifeblood of our family. Now, not me. I used to run five clothing stores with 120 women. I tell everybody that's 120 reasons why I'm in the automotive space. And, oh, I can say that. You better not if you're a guy. Yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying that that's a female privilege to say that. And, you know, UPS, it was about time of the strike and everything. And I, my husband, I used to make bets with him all the time. You hear a car with a funny noise or going down the street or something happened with one in the parking lot. Invariably, when we were there, we've all been through that, right? Yeah. And he knew. I'd make bets and I won't tell you what the bets were, but I'd lose every time. (laughs) And so I I finally stopped making the bets 
And there was just one day and I said, you know, I think we need to open a business. And he said, no, I can't do that. You know, he had been working at UPS. He left UPS. I had an incident where I almost died. It cost about half a million dollars to save me. I think I'm still proving that it was worth it. No, that's why I worked so hard, darn it. And he was working out of the garage at the time. And he said, I, I can't even get one done. And I said, hey, that's because you're pulling one in and out. You're the industry expert, but I'm the business expert. If we go into business, you're going to have four or five days. You're going to be able to do this. And so really on a shoestring, we bootstrapped ourselves up. And a friend of ours gave us 2,500 square foot of space. Actually, no, it was 1,700 square foot of space um, to start out in. And we had three bays. That's where we started. And that was in 2004. And by 2011, we were at 800,000 a year. We joined a group with a consultant. And by following the best practices of the automotive industry today, not the best practices of yesterday, but today, which includes pre-booking and charging what you're worth and paying for diagnosing, all of those things that really do bring you customers, we doubled our business in three years. So that's kind of the history of our shop. We just bought a 10,000 square foot building two years ago and it's a glorious industry. Things are great. So obviously, I mean, you, you didn't start out in the automotive industry and what draws you to the automotive industry? My guys, you know, I saw my husband, He's, he cares. He really just wants to do good for people. And I could see the industry you know, you hear those stories once or twice on 2020 that talk about somebody getting taken advantage of, and that's really not the true story. And so I think I just have always been a champion of the underdog, of the guy who's out there to do good that isn't recognized. And I believe the automotive industry is that. If we were to take a 3% cost of living raise since 1986, there would not be an automotive repair maintenance shop charging less than $256 an hour. We're nowhere near that. No. And so- we're making 3% net at the bottom line for owners that own a company, heck, it'd be cheaper for them to go work for somebody. That's not right. So I'm a champion of doing good. I founded the very first bully-free task force in our nation just prior to Columbine. I'm a visionary and I see this industry as the lifeblood of traveling day to day, getting to and from work and everything. So that's what I love about this industry. That's why I'm here. Wow. I mean, the 250 some dollars an hour, just talking about if you didn't capture shop owners' attention right there with that, we're not even close to that. No, we're not. And this industry, and I agree with what you're saying about this industry. Uh, you know, we as an industry are looked down upon. And you're, a, I want to say that you're a, a published author. I am. Yes. And, and so give us, why did you start out with a book? I love reading. I have probably over 2,000 books in, in my library. I've been known to put them under my pillow because I believe that the information seeps through. As crazy as that'll make me sound. But I believe that's the way to get a message out to people. And, and it's about giving first. And so I think people don't understand their cars. They don't understand what to look for, what the signs are. Um, they bring them in too late. They're in repair. It costs them more. And then that looks bad for us because we don't have that communication that shares is strong enough that we've educated the consumer. Look, maintenance, for every $1,000 you spend in maintenance, you're going to save four to 5000 in repair down the road. They don't know that. We just do our job. So we haven't really been the marketers. Now you're big companies, they can be marketers, but I'm talking about the independent aftermarket guy. 
This is like the largest percentage of businesses out there. We don't realize it because we're independent, but for every one big name you have, you have 20, 25 little names that all go together. So I, I just think that, I don't know, our, our industry really needs to take a look at itself and do some things different. Customers, if you don't charge them enough, they don't believe you have the qualified technicians. And that's not fair either because our technicians are amazing. Like I said earlier, the public thinks they have $15,000 worth of tools in their toolbox. <laughs> that's one drawer. Yeah. Yeah. And, right? and that's the thing with your book, it's educating. I mean, it's kind of, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's, it's directed towards female drivers. It is. I read the book and I know hundreds of college students need to have that book in front of them, whether it's female or male. You're right. You know, our society has gotten to the point where the basics of a car are completely lost when a service advisor or service manager tries to transfer the information that he received from the technician to the car owner, especially in younger generations. They don't understand. They, they completely do not comprehend about the vehicle. And, and I think that's a very important piece because you're right. They're relying on that piece of transportation and they're going to rely on it their entire life, a type of transportation. Or not. I mean, not to throw another spoke in there, but Richard, that I read something recently, NASCAR is losing some of its oomph and they believe a lot of it has to do with, and I think there's a connection there that the new generation doesn't rely on vehicles like we used to. They're willing to bike. There's cities, entire cities developing to be walkable. It's called walkability. And I believe that in part is because of the lack of knowledge. Um, and when you don't know, you can't acquire a love for. And I don't know, I think you and I are the same generation. I'm 55 almost. I'll be in January. Yay for me. I love age. It's knowledge <laughs> and too. experience. So, you know, I'm just saying I celebrate. And we have a love affair with cars. Uh, we walk around here. We have this event called Hot August Nights. And I take my husband around and we play uh, Name That Car. And uh, we, he's not allowed to get near. And we just walk down the aisle, this parking lot of hundreds of cars. And we go, you're making model. And he is right 97% of the time. Sometimes he misses a year by one or two years, but never misses a maker model. <laughs> He's pretty amazing. So we love that, but you don't find the younger generation doing that. So we have to teach them how to love those vehicles and, and want to be around them and understand them and feel comfortable with them. And I, the reason I did women for the book is I'm a woman in the automotive business. So I am a minority, okay, in this industry. And I have never found an industry that I feel more welcome in, really. But I don't think that's the overall messaging that's out there. I think there's women that walk into shops and don't feel comfortable, and they should. I read a stat, I don't know, 65% of the money spent in the automotive industry for automotive repairs from women. So we need to make them feel comfortable. you got Ask Patty out there, Jody DeVere, great friend of mine, who teaches shops how to be women-friendly. When you talk about marketing, that's important. Even if the guy chooses the shop. So let's say I'm a wife, my husband, we're not in the automotive industry. I say, honey, I need to get my car taken care of. You know, he's at work all day. Usually he wants, hey, honey, go drop it off here. So he tells her what shop to take it to. Sure. So why are we marketing to the women? Because... First of all, men are attracted to women. Hello. So when you market, the men hear that messaging and they understand it. Number two, when the woman comes home from that shop, who do you think really makes the decision about whether she goes back or not? Him or her? Yeah. She's got to feel comfortable with that. And you're right. Uh, that's the same stat I've seen. 65% of 
And I know from being at the community colleges and teaching future technicians, uh, if there's a young lady in there that's interested in being a technician, before she'll ever get to her second year of school, there's dealerships, there's independents, and, and there's some OE dealers that are looking for her to try to recruit her so she can bring that message to that 65%. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. If you're a female technician or service advisor, the sky's the limit. Shops are looking. I can tell you of a dozen shops right now that if they came across a female technician or service advisor that had value, they would hire them in a moment. Even if they just were needed to be trained still, that they weren't all the way knowledgeable, they'd invite them in. I, I see the automotive industry. I, I get it. It's been a guy's world. But I really see a dynamic shift happening and I see a great partnership of men and women to save this industry. And that's really what we're doing. We need to rebrand. We need to remarket. ASE is doing it. ASA is doing it. Shops are doing it. Uh, you know, the, the ones that are, they're, you know, early adopters, right? So not everybody's an early adopter, but we're getting to where we're almost past the early adoption stage. And, and we're going to be into the stage where we have the early uh, majority coming in. So in talking, I mean, you've already kind of established this, but the value of a trained technician in the Bay, but I want to go a little bit step further than that. What about an owner? What about a female owner? What about a female service manager? You know, you, you've talked about that, bringing that out, but in combination with a male character in the front office too, what do you think the value is there? Huge. So we have an office manager who's a female um, we, she, and we used to have her come sit up front. Now she she's transitioned. It's her own business. I actually helped that happen with her and she comes in and she'll still sit at the front desk. We do radio commercials for a while because I was traveling. I was working with a national consultant and I had 120 shops nationwide that I was helping consult with. I had some of them privately as clients as well. And so my voice was off the radio. People know, in town noticed it. Shari, where's your voice? They loved hearing a female voice on the radio and a female owner. I'm co-owner. My husband owns it as well. He's the industry expert, but I'm the business expert. I marketed, I branded, I scaled all of those things I did for that company. And I think there's a lot of husbands and wives and gosh, I love you guys, but you know, the wives are doing bookkeeping and there's so much more that we can do as partners together by really growing that business as a couple. And I think that's true in the industry as well. You know, I'm a part of Women in Auto Care, a national organization of women in auto care. And there's a lot of female owners. There's a lot of women working at manufacturers that are directors and VPs. So, but I want to say something about the value of properly trained technicians. You know, ASEs matter. Knowing what you're doing matters. That's like our doctor certificate. So um, ASE is making a shift. We need to make the shift and we need to prioritize those and everybody having those and a trained technician that knows how to tell a good story. See in our shop, our technicians write their own stories. So we are on a company and I, I don't mention companies when I interview only because I think that's fair, but we are on tablet inspection sheets. Uh-huh. So we're a paperless company and our guys write their stories and they don't all know how to spell well and they don't all have grammar, but my service manager and service advisor would prefer to go in and edit the real story than try to figure it out themselves. So, you know, you think, well, then the technician doesn't get billable hours. Yes, yes, you do. If you know what you're doing, you do. Our guys, in fact, we are on performance-based pay. We don't believe in flat rate. Flat rate's got to go, and hourly isn't very motivating. So performance-based pay takes hourly, 
and adds performance-based bonuses on top of that, depending on how many billable hours you have, how many ASE certs you have, all of that. So a trained technician actually is the key, one of the main keys to selling the job. Now, the relationship the service advisor establishes with that client and how they communicate is a big deal too. But they have nothing to communicate without that valid story from that technician, without the overall picture of that car. Look, it's not about just skimming the cream anymore, guys. It's about taking one car and getting the most work out of it that you can. And if you and your service advisor are working together, we have an average in a general automotive shop of almost $800 per RO. It's not unlike us to sell a $3,000, $5,000 job. Our biggest job we ever sold was $33,000. That's impressive. Now, kind of go back off the side there a little bit, kind of a, off in a rabbit hole, you might say. ASE, yeah. you said it had value. Do you believe that the ASE is promoting the industry and, and the technicians and what's required to be a, I mean, I am three category ASE master certified. Mm, congratulations. And that's not something that just happens overnight. Mm-hmm. But is that being properly promoted within the industry to the vehicle owner? Okay, so that could be a trick question because it has not been. That's been part of the problem. What I understand in the industry is that that's a reason that technicians and owners don't want to bother with them. They don't prioritize them enough because ASE has not done that. Now, there was a shift in ASE a couple years back. They shifted in the C-suite. So the vision and the accepted accountability and responsibility of ASE is now different. So although you're not seeing it flooded into the market yet, it has already begun. ASE has already started changing how the market looks at ASE, giving ASE more weight, uh, allowing the public to understand how much everybody goes through to get ASEs. So I don't know what that looks like in the next five years, but I know that it's already begun and they get it. They understand. They've listened. We spoke. They heard. They're acting. Yeah. And that's exactly what I was hoping you would say. And I knew that the shift was happening and see it slowly. And it's not something that needs to be just all at once out in front. But to make that slant transition, I mean, we didn't get to where it's at now overnight. And to get to where we want it to be won't happen overnight. Right. But being able to bring that value. It won't happen without all of us doing it together. So in women in auto care, we're with a bunch of manufacturers. We were in a meeting and we had a, a Amy Matnat, a, a, a car owner, and she was past president of the women in auto care. And she did a panel discussion and it was all shop owners. And at one point she looked at the audience. She said, okay, she said, everyone needs to be real about this. Cause she said, I'm telling you, these shop owners feel like they're at war. They're on the front line and they're being attacked from all areas right now. And that's why they are acting some of the ways that they act and do some of the things that they do, like turning around saying, can you make these parts cheaper? You know, and your suppliers are really tired of that. And I get it. We need to stop. For every time you turn around to look to save money, you are ruining your vision of how to make it. It's like riding a motorcycle. You stay in your rut. Every time, the only time you turn around to look at the guy behind you is if he's tapping on your tire. And then you only want to care that he's there so you can tap him out, right? Otherwise you're looking forward or you lose two to three seconds every time. So we need to look forward with what we're doing, not backwards on the manufacturers, but we had everybody stand up. We said, all right, if you take your car to a dealership and not to an independent aftermarket, stand up, stand up. So it's kind of funny because you would have thought we would have done it the opposite way, right? Said if you Uh take it, no, no, 
75% of the room stood up. I don't even think in the aftermarket do we understand how to support each other. <laughs> I, I have said that for a long time. Uh, yeah, yes, that is a true statement. We're too busy being independent, right? Yes. Right, we're yes. different. We're in, so, and I'm also, I'm president of a Napa business development group. We have 15 Napa auto care shops here. Um, I love them. Almost all of them are in the business development group. And so I remember we first got together about a year and a half ago. Oh, no, almost two years. It'll be two years in February. So I said to our Napa representatives, hey, so I want to have shop tours. You want to do what? I said, yeah, I want us all for one day to go around and visit everybody's shop. It only took about a couple of weeks. And he said, oh, sure, I don't think we can do this. He said, people don't want other people looking at their shop. And I said, too bad. We're going to do this. And I said, I'm not, I'm leader. He said, I'm leader, right? And he goes, yeah, you're the leader. I said, okay, then we're going to do this. And I said, just, you need to trust me. I need you to trust me. We need them to get past this. We need to build a bridge. And I'll be darned. There are a couple guys that said, no, I don't want, I can't go. And my shop's real busy. They don't stop by. So we, we let them do that. But we stopped by all the rest, which was 90% of them. And it was amazing, the bond that happened. They realized and now a couple of years later, the things we're doing and opening up with each other is amazing. We have 160 shops locally, 150, 100, something like that. We're only 15, right? We're at 5%. Yeah. So why can't we know and, and bond? And, you know, we should all have 336. It's ridiculous not to have 336. So all of these neat things that we're doing together because we stopped being afraid of each other. We stopped having secrets. There aren't secrets. Really? We all do the same things or not, but we know what they are. Absolutely. And to be able to pick up one piece, one piece of data or piece of information that another shop's doing that you're not, that can improve your business. Why not? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't understand. I think independent has been taken too far. And part of that is, depending on where you're at, but you know, the competition, the customer calling and, and price shopping and all that. I don't buy into that. I have problem with that to begin with. Does anybody still give prices over the phone, Richard? Can we have that discussion right now? Stop giving prices. Stop it. Exactly. Can you, can you, can you call your doctor and ask him to prescribe something and let you know how much that prescription is going to be? That test. You can't. You don't. They don't allow it. We do that because you know what I think it is? I'm sorry. I'm so passionate about this industry and these men. <laughs> I really am. I just, it's, we come from a mindset of scarcity. We think if we let that customer go off the phone, we're never going to get them. And when you're chasing something down, they never come to you. You've got to change the energy flow of that. You have the best product available. If they're smart, they're going to pick you, connect to them, help them be that. Say, look, and our guys do it. And when they first started, they were like, sure, I can't do that. And I said, yes, you can. Because every time you give a price over the phone, I'm going to make you run around the building. That's what's going to happen. You know, you just, you got to make it painful, right? Make it uncomfortable yeah. for them. If I hear you, if I catch you and we record our calls, so if I have time to go listen to it, which they know I don't listen to all of them, but they've really broken the habit because they say, look, that's not really fair to you. VIN applications of cars can change midway through a year. Without your VIN number, it's hard for me to know exactly what it needs. And now we're guessing over the phone. Imagine going to the doctor and giving your symptoms to him and asking him to diagnose you without seeing you. He could miss cancer for heaven's sakes. Right. And that's what I was going to point out. You're right. The doctor doesn't give us a quote. He doesn't provide that. And I would, like you said at the beginning of this podcast, you know, a true technician is very close to what a doctor's doing. Mm -hmm. So I, I once had a doctor tell me, it was a customer of mine, and 
I was rebuilding an engine or a transmission. I don't remember which it was. And he come in and scheduling some work. And he said, well, that looks pretty complicated. And I said, yeah, it is. I said, we work on many different models where you only work on two. And he said, well, the only thing I've got over you is I work on them while they're still running. <laughs> and, and he had a point, but we need to quit this, the price shopping and the, the competition between our co-shops is dangerous. Yeah. Very dangerous. Well, as long as we're fighting each other, we can't bond together grab the market away from the dealers the same yeah and right of repair is not over i want you to know that there's stuff going on right now with and right of repair for anybody that isn't aware of it is the right to have the information your obd information that tells us your codes and everything to guide us in the area of what's going on with that car um, the manufacturers and the dealers, the dealers specifically, want to keep that information with them. The Auto Care Association right now is doing a lot of backroom negotiations. They have a plan to go public. This is another thing like ASC. You don't see it all at once, but your car, your data, your choice. So they just spent, I don't know, a week in Washington, D.C., almost 200 of them, people representing the Auto Care Association, talking to Congress and saying, you cannot do this. You can't keep information from us. We are in this industry and we have the right to work on that car. But ultimately, that car belongs to the person that owns it, which means that data belongs to the person that owns it. If that person wants me to get that data and take care of their car, they have a right to make that choice. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly with that. And I applaud those organizations for going up there and fighting for that right. For And I use the term independent repair shops, but... We are independent, but we need that data to be able to properly repair a vehicle and to continue in the business that we hopefully we love. Yeah. Yeah. And I think everybody that gets into this industry loves it. That's that's why you're here. There's a passion about this industry that I feel. And I think the people that ugh, look at it as drudgery now have just been beat up so much in different ways, whether you're a technician and owner, service advisor, shop assistant. It wears on you after a while. Yeah, it absolutely does. And, and I, I've got friends that have been in the industry a long time, and I see that in them, losing that passion. Speaking of passion, let's talk about another passion you've got, <laughs> the horsepower. That's right. So I'm the queen of horsepower. Funny, we just got into the automotive stuff so much, and we had talked about this. We're making sure to bring this up in our talk. But yes, I, I'm the queen of horsepower because I own a shop, but I also own a barn with horses. So that's horsepower on hooves. And I have another company that I've been working in for about three years now, and I'm a consultant. So I'm, as far as I know, I'm the only female consultant in the automotive industry that has her own company. There's other female coaches and consultants that work for other companies, but I run basically my own company. And I don't do the same kind of consulting most of your male consultants do in the industry. I work on the people end of it. So I work on developing your scientific data of who you are innately, in, inside and out, your behavior, your why, your communication style, your EQ, so your emotional quotient, your stress factors, your acumen, how you see the world, how you see yourself. And I build people because I believe that people happiness is the ultimate profit driver. So I cannot argue with that. I believe you're, a good team will outdo anyone in the industry if you've got a good team out in the bays and at the front counter and as an owner. So you mentioned something to me earlier in our discussion. In this consulting, you were talking about how technicians become shop owners. Oh, I was. So <laughs> it's funny. It's this little model I joke. So for me, laughter is life. 
And I think the hardest things that we deal with, I remember watching on television uh, 25 years ago, a guy who was teaching a DUI class. And that's got to be one of the most tragic things when you, and, you know, you have people in there that have killed someone because they made bad choices. And so, but he taught that class based in laughter and love. And he did that because when you laugh, you listen. And when you laugh, you learn. But when it's miserable, you tune out, you get back in your own head, you listen to your own voice. So this comes out of laughter. And I say that only because I, I certainly don't want to offend anybody. I mean this in the most loving way, but let's look at the basic makeup of a technician. A technician needs to know his job. He needs to find the problem. He needs to fix it the first time and get it right. Absolutely. Or it better be the parts fault. Okay. You take that brain set and you turn it into an owner. I know what I'm doing. I'm going to find the problem. I'm going to fix it. It's going to be right. Or it's somebody else's fault is the worst kind of leadership you can have. It's called the blame game. And I'm not going to point any fingers, but I've been around the country and I see it. Technicians brain, they have to find a problem. So they're always looking for a problem. And that's not helpful when you're an owner of a business. Granted, I'm not saying be silly and put blinders on, but sometimes there are no problems. And sometimes the problem is you. It's not specific to the automotive industry. It's not specific to a person. It's just an environment that we have. Our lives have all sped up so much. What happens is people are great individual contributors, so they get promoted. Then they're a great individual contributor and they get promoted again. And after that happens, without teaching leadership, management, motivating people, understanding people, it's just not a good fit. But it's uncomfortable. Nobody is willing to be vulnerable and say, look, maybe I could use some help. And so I just want to encourage you to embrace your vulnerability. As a leader, I know the more vulnerable I am, the more real I am. And the more we can just talk. Um, I tell everybody, it's kind of like getting naked. It is what it is. You know, you need to get naked, get comfortable and get real in business because that's what the new workforce wants. None of this BS anymore. We want to connect. And it's not about knowing personal problems. It's about understanding each other. And I think that's really, really important. Shari, you know, prior to this, we had a, a call just to get acquainted and, and discuss. And and you made that comment. And I'm a technician, been a technician my entire life. And and I, I will be honest, that comment caught me off guard. It's like, whoa, wait a minute. Where, where are we going with this? And, and But as a technician, you're exactly right. We are, and my entire life is, here's the problem. Here's what I diagnosed as a solution. The solution I bring to it, I put the solution on it or repair the vehicle and I release it. If it doesn't work, well, it's not my fault. <laughs> I've done everything I should do to make it happen and work right. Well, you've been so integritous. You've been so integritous and detail oriented to get that done. That's the technician's mind. They're so responsible. That's their job is to get that car running again. Yeah. And I remember years ago, 30 plus years ago when I started in this industry, you know, just a simple oil change or a brake job. And then when I say simple, those things cannot always be thought of that way. But, you know, I would go of an evening after I'd done a brake job and, and I knew the customer and I thought, okay, did I do everything the way that I was supposed to do? And then is it safe? And as a young technician, you're thinking that way. And then you slowly gain and go to a point of, you know, I'm doing this job right. I know what I'm doing. And it can be a dangerous thing, especially when you make, if you make the transition to becoming a shop owner, 
Yeah, you know, it is. And it's funny, my husband has gone from technician to shop owner, and then I haven't been there for a few years. So he's really had to take on the business end of it. And I'll never forget, it's probably eight years ago when we like, I think it was a tug of war to get his toolbox to the back of the shop. It was right in the front. And I said, you don't even work on cars anymore. What do you need that at the front of the shop for? Well, you know, occasionally someone pulls up in the parking lot and I went, oh, <laughs> are we doing parking lot dikes? Because then you're stealing money from the business. Just saying, you know, so and the technicians would laugh and it probably took him a year of really just straight conversations like that to get him to put it away. And, and it's hard because that's where he found his value. But funny still, as a business owner, we have these really frank discussions sometimes. And I tell him, sound like you're a technician again. You're looking for a problem. Oh, <laughs> there's not one there, you know? Well, that toolbox is the comfort zone. Yeah. I mean, that area around the toolbox and that toolbox is a technician's comfort zone. They're comfortable in that work environment, that area. And, and being able to make that transition to where you're actually having to talk to people and, and, and run a shop. That's an extremely tough transition. And be responsible for others. It's not just you and the machine anymore. It's you and others. But, you know, they're really communicating to a customer and a client with everything they do every day. How they treat that client's car tells that client um, and that customer what integrity the shop has and what level of value of quality work they're going to do. When they put their stories together and they talk to the customer about their car, that they're communicating and when they talk to the service advice, so there's always been more than just a technician and a machine. Most certainly, maybe there's different languages. I don't, you know, I don't know. But, you know, a technician has a lot of value and it's more than just fixing that car. It's showing the customer they care. It's supporting the service advisor and giving them the information they need to communicate to the customer. And it's in understanding the owner's goals of that business because they're a part of the tool of the business that makes that business succeed. So they need to care about how many billable hours they find on average per car. They need to care about how many cars they can get through. They need to care about their productivity, just like a service advisor needs to care about their sale rate. It matters. Yeah. And I'm fortunate enough to be able to go to several community colleges over the year, each year and each semester. And, you know, being able to tell those young technicians that, Hey, you're a technician, you are a unique individual that can repair a vehicle. You have value and getting them to understand that they're not the Gomer piles anymore, you know, and I love maybe the show, but yeah. you know, we're not that anymore. The technology, I mean, the 2017 Ford F-150 has 100 million lines of code in it. You know, that's not something that just happens or is easy to repair. Oh, let's not even get into telematics and autonomous cars. I mean, we could go that route as well. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and the technician, there is a value to that humanness. There's a lot of jobs being replaced by machines now. And so we we need to be cautious and careful to keep our human value in there. Um, it's really important. And they're rocket scientists. They're working on rocket ships. How long before cars fly? They're already driving themselves. I remember when I watched the Jetsons. Everybody remember the Jetsons? <laughs> they're oh, flying in the air. Yeah, I'll be honest. I commute to work three days a week and it's a 60 mile one way trip. and Hey, if I can get in a car and it'll drive itself or even better, if we can fly and not have to mess with the rest of it, I, I'm all for it. Well, I'm going to get a lot more work done when somebody, the car can drive me around. I know that. <laughs> I know that yeah. that's what I'm going to do. And, you know, I think I want to encourage females. Look at the automotive industry is somewhere where you can be. People are looking for female technicians and service advisors. You don't have to know anything about a car to be. A, in fact, I prefer for you not to know as a service advisor, I, I believe 
one of the most um, trickiest transitions is from technician to service advisor um, because you can't talk about things in the same manner. So we recruited a gentleman from Papa Murphy's Pizza who became our shop assistant, then parts advisor, then service advisor, now service manager. And I'll tell you, he has an amazing relationship with our clients and customers. They love him because he doesn't know. He goes, look, that's not my job. I have guys, technicians. Um, these are the best. This is what they're telling me. Let's go ask. And they head back to the shop. They look underneath. They take the customer in there. When you walk in our shop, you look right into windows, into the shop. We want to show customers we're transparent. But I, I want to encourage women to come into this industry. I think there's just a real misperception about how they'll be received. And granted, you know, you're still going to find that automotive shop that isn't doing the right thing. Um, you're going to find a technician that doesn't really know what he's doing. And unfortunately, he's too proud of himself to say it out loud. And I'll tell you what, if there's anything, if you don't know, just don't know. It's the best way to go. Don't fake it until you make it. It's not the area to do that in. But I think ultimately, totally that on a whole, that females are very welcome with open arms in this industry. So how do we as an industry and I used to get frustrated about this is, you know, well, the industry needs to change. The industry needs to change. I hear that and hear that from different C-level people. And I'm like, well, you're the industry too. So how do we, as the industry, how do we recruit these females? I think that you partner with your high schools and your colleges. So our business development group just allocated $9,000 to give away in scholarships next year at our college. We are also going to be spending one day a month at their shop at the school with them getting to know them. So the females that are there are going to let other females know, hey, it's so much fun. I love it. So when you find young females that are in the industry, encourage them, support them, help them. If you see them struggling, be the guy that makes the difference. Be the hero. Be the hero. Because females talk. Come on, guys, you know it. We spread <laughs> the word faster than, let me right? Tell her, telegraph, for sure. Yep, yep. And that's one of our strong suits. So let us tell each other, you know, I belong to women in auto care and we just gave away $60,000 in scholarships to women, get them in our industry in one year. Yeah. And I was fortunate enough to have Summer Miller on the podcast and there's a young lady with an absolute glowing future in this industry. Hopefully I'll have some more of those in the podcast this year. Uh, I've seen where women in auto care just now give out the, uh, who was shop owner of the year, female in the industry, yeah. you know. Women in auto care is really spreading out, and I really applaud them for that. They are Tammy Tacklenberg Chaffee is, or Chaffee Tacklenberg. I think that's the way it goes. Tammy, President Tammy is amazing. Her husband's been in the industry for a long time. They've been involved with Spectrum Brands. They are just great, great people, and she's doing a fantastic job as our president, and we want to grow the female membership of women in auto care because, you know, that connection with us also keeps us strong. It's a great industry to belong to, but the networking is really what makes it amazing. So I think if we're to do anything as an industry that we just, we open it up and it starts younger than high school. You know, think about it. The first one to five years in a child's life is when you influence them the most. So I think we should be influencing technicians at children's museums, you know, the little discovery museums around the country, children's exhibits, going to a school and doing some kind of a car sort of a thing. Vroom, vroom. You know, think of the little third grade. I'm sorry, but I, I can think of it. I took my horse to over 200 and something schools, teaching kids how to read, telling them she's a Nevada Mustang. 
Mustang, like the car. And, you know, we would talk about her teeth and who she was and that she learns through, you know, we have to learn through reading and you can learn about her through reading. And so think of taking a car with an engine to a school and showing them how it runs. And that's science. I think it's fourth grade or something where they really get into science in their curriculum. My homeschooled my kids into college, so I'm really get curriculum and how that works. But I think that's a great way to really just start getting in your community, guys. You don't have to be a shop to do it. You could be a technician and with a kid in school. Go to the school as you're the dad or the mom and bring your car and show kids some stuff on that car that's cool. Um, if you can't think of what that is, well, gosh, Richard, let's have another podcast. How to have fun yeah, at school, right? Absolutely. How to spread the love of cars and understanding. So I think there's so many things that we can do, but what it really needs is every single person, every single person, technician, service advisor, owner, you know, if you work at um, a counter person, if you sell auto parts, whatever you do, start doing something to let people know how valuable this industry is. Be proud of what you do. Don't hide it anymore. Stop it. That's old. Yeah, I agree. Right? We need to stop that. I mean, and I see that. I ask, and that's one of the things I'll ask students, why are you in an automotive program? And there's so many of them that it's almost like they don't want to answer. And that's sad to see. Do they think they're settling for something second best? Because I don't. Well, I don't either. And that's what I try to impress upon them. I mean, this is a viable industry that has a very bright future. If you hook your ship to it and go, there's a very valuable industry. Look, we work on people's second largest investment next to a house. It's a car. It's a vehicle. And for millennials, and you know, I love millennials. I think like a millennial all the time. It's called new economic order. And they have a lot of value in our industry, most certainly. So their biggest investment is a car. They don't buy houses. They buy cars. So that's most important to them, the ones that do. Now, we talked about walkability. There's a lot of millennials. And granted, millennials outnumber the baby boomers. So it's a lot of people we're talking about. Some of them don't have cars, but those that do, that is their biggest investment that they make because they don't necessarily buy homes. They rent. So it's a valuable piece of property that we're working on. And it's got a lot of moving parts. You've got steel and plastic and rubber that all have to perform together. It's harder than your human body, right? So we have value. A lot of people can't work on cars. And I think the only reason we don't perceive that properly is we don't charge enough. So everybody, go tell your owner, or if you're an owner, go raise your price. You deserve it. Um, you're still not charging the public. I'm not cheating the public. I want the public to know that we're not charging what we're worth, period. We're charging less than half of what we're worth. Interesting you say that. I've seen a study just recently that when you're talking about millennials in their car, one of the biggest categories right now for millennial vehicle owners is customizing their car making their car or their vehicle theirs. And that's extremely important to them. You're like you said, it is the largest investment that they've made in their life. And that's funny. NDP just came to women in auto care and they said one of the largest growing money segments of the market is accessories. So, and that's yes. customizing your car. So you're, you're spot on with that. Absolutely spot on with that. So as many facets, many hats you wear, first off, let me ask, where do you see this industry going and where would you like to see it going? So I do see the industry. So I'm a part of the Remarkable Results alumni. Carm Capriato does podcasts. 
He just won an award from the Car Care Association, well-deserved for education. And he puts together a lot of people, a lot of podcasts that are free. You can find him at remarkableresults.com. And um, we talk about where the industry is going all the time. So we are starting to position ourselves as an item of value. We are starting to charge what we're worth. There are shops starting to pre-book appointments. So just like your dentist books your cleaning, your maintenance, they are taking responsibility to book people in for maintenance and teach them that maintenance is cheaper than repair. Um, So they're thinking ahead. As owners, they are getting more training. There are technicians starting to revalue ASE again and bond. So I see the industry starting to come together and work together. And what I want to see for the industry is I want to see us reach out to the consumer more now. We're upping our value. We're doing the things we need to do. And now it's time to bring more consumers in. So we need to, um, when I wrote my book, 25 Car Care Tips for Women, it is on Amazon. It became an international bestseller. It's a fun read for men. Um, I went on a book tour, a media tour, and I hit eight cities in six weeks. Got to be on morning shows and things like that and talk about our industry and how much value it has. So I'm putting myself out there as the queen of horsepower and I will come to any city and be on any morning show anywhere to talk about three mistakes to avoid when you look for a good auto repair shop. I'll tell you things to look for to make sure you're prepared for winter. I wanna help the customer know how to take better care of their car. And I don't mean by fixing it. I mean by looking for signs and doing the right things to bring it into a repair shop to let the pros do it because it's not the same as it used to be. Cars aren't. It's a very complicated machine and um, you are best served. You wouldn't be your own lawyer. You wouldn't be your own plumber. You wouldn't be your own doctor. So why would you be your own car guy? Why are you doing that? Why don't you let the car guys and girls do that? Yeah. And I downloaded your book, downloaded before we had the podcast and I read it. And it is, in my opinion, it's a book that needs to be in front of every customer that comes in the door. Thank you. Oh, Richard, thank you. Because you know what? We have a, a model that um, I would like to offer to any business owner. And then we're looking at it. Would be a, you purchase 100 minimum, but we put your logo on the front of it. You get to write a little note to your customer in the front. Um, it says why you care and that you give it to every new customer that comes in your store. You just say, here, this will help you learn a little bit more about your car and what you need to do to save money and keep it of best value for you. Well, and I would be happy to in the social post of this podcast to provide a link. If you can if you can get a link to me, sorry, with that, and we, we'll be happy to get that out there because I truly believe the book is written in a way that it's not telling the reader how to fix their car. Mm-mm. It's telling the reader what to look for and how to search out a repair shop that can do the job and take care of the customer. Thank you, Richard. Good point, because that was a big page in the book is here's some things that don't tolerate from a shop. Here's some things you should expect them to do. And you can bring my book in their door and say, here's what she said. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I'm in this. I'm a shop owner. I've consulted with shop owners across the country. I brainstorm and mastermind with consultants across and Canada as well. So, you know, yeah, I think we just, we're accountable, we're responsible and the book is fun. It's just, and, and, and a real fun, did you see the comparing us to doctor's offices? That was, yes, I love yes, that. I was going to bring that out. Yes. Yeah. That was a lot of fun too. So, and I am honored, I'm really honored to be a woman in the automotive industry. 
is specifically the aftermarket and representing the independent automotive shop owner. There are so many husbands and wives that own shops together and there's women shop owners and there's men shop owners that have women technicians. I just, men and women of the automotive industry are really coming together because we have a greater purpose and it's to push this industry forward. It's to lift it up, right? It's time. It's time to lift it up because we are valuable. We do a great service to our communities and to the people around us and we need to stay in business. Well, that's a great segue into what I'm going to ask you next. If I was to take you and have you in front of, let's say, 500 high school students, both male and female, and I wanted you to give a keynote address to them, what would you say? So this is just general high school students, right? Yes. So I think my keynote to them is to engage, to not let anyone else be responsible for what you want out of life other than yourself. To not allow anybody, no matter what they do or what circumstances that you think would happen compared to what does happen, bring you down. Because it's not how other people act, it's how you react to that. And so to take yourself from a place of reaction to a place of proaction. And I learned this a long time ago, I was asked the question, who do you think is in charge of an interview? The interviewer that asks the questions or the interviewee that answers them. And more people than not say the interviewer. And I believe that's the wrong answer because I know that I have things I want you to hear. And it doesn't matter what questions you ask me. I'm going to find a way to get my message out when I'm the interviewee. So you can ask me whatever you want. And I'm going to figure out a way to answer, to get the tools and the message out that I need. Whereas an interviewer really is just stuck asking questions. I wholeheartedly believe that. I wholeheartedly believe that. So high school students, get up, make it happen, get into it, get dirty, right? Get naked, get comfortable, (laughs) get real. Just when I spoke at Harvard, I said, I said, it's time to get naked. And these business, you know, Harvard, who in the heck would go to Harvard? And Suzanne Summers was there. And I said, oh. Time to get naked with Suzanne. And she was like, whoa, my husband's in the back. Because <laughs> you go first. I said, I already did. You know, and they laughed. And, and I said, you know, that's getting naked is about just letting people know who you are. And I'm very scientific. So I use scientific data. I use the disc, the driving forces, right? I, I use EQ. I use all of that. And I want to share. I even learned. I thought I knew who I was. And then I had got my scientific data. And it helped me correct some of the mistakes that I was making. You know, I'm very passionate. I can be a lot to handle because I'm all heart, but I'm very driven. So I'm very focused and I'm willing to do what it takes to get things done. So high schoolers, this is your deal. I'm getting ready to be old and go out to pasture. You're going to run this country. You're going to run our communities. What are you doing? What are you doing to run it? So take the bull by the horns, get on the horse and ride it like you stole it and make it happen. No excuses, no apologies, no exceptions. Good words. I mean, and I think that's something that really I I believe a lot of young people need to hear. So with all this going on, do you have any hobbies that you have time for? My horses. I turned it into a business. (laughs) That's when you you love your hobby. In fact, I'm sitting here watching. I've got a gentleman out there with the horses right now. I'm in my office and he's getting the mule to like him. Mules are a little more stubborn. She doesn't like guys in Mm -hmm. hats. So he's a guy. He's out there in a hat and he's actually within five feet of her. 
about two months ago, he couldn't even get within 50 feet of her. So horses, I love, you know, I love watching people. You know, my passion is my business. I love people. I love helping people succeed. I love helping people get to know themselves and be the best they can be. And horses do that. You know, I bring people out here that have never had horses and it's amazing what we see happen. They learn how to communicate better. But, you know, on the side, I go camping with my husband. I like shooting. I like to take a gun up into the hills and see how good I can be. I like going for hikes. Lake Tahoe's close. I like traveling and sightseeing and just absorbing everything around me. So meeting people, seeing new things. Great. So are you going to be at, since you're out in Nevada, are you going to be at Las Vegas at SEMA or Apex? I am. I am. I'm so blessed. I'm starting out at NRHA down there at the drags. Um, I get to um, have a, I think I'm going to be a part of uh, one of the drive cars and get to be up on the starting line with the the Napa car. So I'm excited about that. And uh, then we're going to be spending the whole week in Vegas for SEMA and Apex. Um, I know that Bogey has a, a car out there that was built all by females. That's going to be at SEMA this year. So we're excited about that for her. Um, and she's going to be out there. And then, of course, the last day of SEMA on Friday is when you get to see all the fun on the street. And, yeah, I love SEMA Apex. Are you going to be down there, Richard? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're going to be out there in SEMA with the Technician Academy crew. Ooh, well, I'm going to have to stop by and see you guys then. That'd be great. That would be great. Email me. Tell me where you're at so I can find you. Uh, yes, I'll have to get you the booth number. Hopefully, I'll have time to be at the booth. Okay, and by the way, I just want you to know if I could have any car, what would it be? It'd be one with heated seats. <laughs> I don't <laughs> it needs to have heated seats, it needs to go fast, it needs to be quiet on the inside, right? That's what I want. So I let my husband pick my car all the time. My husband and my son, they pick my car and as I just tell them it needs to have heated seats, remote start, and go fast. That's what I like. <laughs> so now I'm gonna put you in front of a group of industry professionals. Mm. What's your closing thoughts to them? Break the envelope. Get out of the envelope. Get out of the box. Do it different. Don't stop. Change. Change. Just make the change. You know it. You know it. Make the change. For those of you that have made the change, congratulations. Now go go guide somebody else to do it. If you've done it yourself, what are you doing to help the industry? We all need to help the industry on a whole. So what are we doing to help the industry on a whole? What are we doing to get the message out there to the consumer? If it's just when you go to dinner or go shopping, you're proud You're proud of where you work. Hey, if you ever need anything, let us help you. You know, hey, we work on this. You know, just little tiny pieces of statements that you can say. Be ready with them and make the change. And you know what? Raise your rate. Write $10. If you average 2.2 billable hours per RO, right, that's going to be $22. Nobody knows. And $22, if you're billing out 600 hours a month, is a lot of money. And that keeps you in business. Because if you're not in business, where are they going to take their car? Your customer doesn't have anywhere. You don't have a customer. They don't have an automotive shop if you can't make money. So make the money, but give the customer the value they deserve for that money. Yeah. I don't think I could have said that any better. Easier said than done. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I've taken up your time. I know you, uh, you're at home at your home office and, and got some things going on outside. I appreciate your time. I, I truly do. And I, and I also want to say that I appreciate your passion for this industry. Oh. I'm thankful that there are individuals out there that have that passion. And, and it is refreshing to hear that. There's lots of us. Yeah. And you bring that. You bring that. You've brought that in every conversation we've had. It's even in your emails. <laughs> it's easy to see. 
So I, I thank you for that. I thank you for your time. I appreciate your time with us. And, uh, you know, we'll get to see each other, hopefully meet up at SEMA, and we can discuss a little bit more about the future of the industry. Sure, and I'm game for any more podcasts or things we want to do with text online, too, and have some talks, whatever. I- I'm in. Let's do this. Let's get our greatness on, right? Let's just get our greatness on. All right. Sounds great. And we'll talk later. And, and I, like I said, I do appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks, Richard. Have a good one. Uh-huh. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Technician Academy podcast brought to you by Extend Performance. Don't forget to visit us online at technician.academy. We are also on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Technician.academy, built to educate.